Jones v. Commissioner, is it the most important self-directed IRA prohibited transaction case? Well, we'll see in a second. Hey everyone, Adam Bergman here, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. And on today's episode, I want to go back and discuss the 2004 tax court case, Rollins v. Commissioner, which I use quite a bit explaining the IRS's position and their intent when looking at a transaction involving an IRA or a 401k and a disqualified person. And it's a really good fact pattern. And I'll explain why it may be the most important self-directed IRA prohibited transaction case and maybe why it's not. So before I do that, let's go through the facts, right? Facts are always key in any case. So as I mentioned, it's a 2004 tax court case, <coughs> excuse me, Joseph Rollins v. Commissioner. In summary, Rollins used a 401k to lend money to a bunch of companies that he owned. And in all cases, he owned less than 50% of, and he was not an employee. So he's a passive owner, less than 50%. Okay, so the question is then, was his 401k loan a prohibited transaction? So actually I lied. Before let's, I get into the facts, let's talk about what is prohibited with an IRA or 401k. There's essentially three things you cannot do with an IRA. Can't do life insurance or collectibles under 408M. 401k is able to purchase life insurance. And the big one under Internal Revenue Code, Section 4975C, applies to IRAs and 401ks and essentially says under C, you can't do any transaction with your IRA that directly or indirectly personally benefits you, a lineal descendant, or any entity controlled 50% or more by such persons. So you may be saying, well, he owned less than 50% of the entity, so shouldn't he have been able to do the loan? And we'll see potentially if he used an IRA, maybe, but because he used a 401k, the, the disqualified person rules are a little bit different. And I think ultimately that's what tripped him up, but it's still a very good case if you have an IRA to look at the intent of the IRS. So here's the facts in, in some detail. So Rollins is a CPA. He owned 100% of his accounting firm. He had a 401k. And he made a decision, as I mentioned, to lend money from his 401k to a bunch of companies. One was J&J Charlotte, which he owned less than 10%. Another one was Eagle Buff. He owned about 27%, but they had 80 shareholders, the company. So it was a big company. And he had a, another loan to a company called Jocks and Jills, and he owned 33% of it, but there were 70 other partners. Okay. So in all cases, he owned less than 50%. He didn't earn a salary. He was not an employee. He was just an investor. Okay. So the IRS contended that the loans to these companies by Rollins was prohibited because number one, they were loans were transfers of the plan assets that benefited the petitioner Rollins. And two, the loans were dealings with the plan assets in his own interest. And he, they used 4975 C1D and 4975 C1E as the two catch-all prohibited transaction provisions that they believed created a prohibited transaction. They believed the IRS contended that Rollins benefited from those loans because he essentially saved these businesses because the facts show that the businesses had some financial difficulty. Um, the also, the IRS showed that Rollins' own interest in these companies created a conflict of interest because the plan in the companies resulted in dividing loyalties. With conflicting interest as a disqualified person who is a fiduciary brought, brought Rollins within a prohibited 
prohibition against dealing with the income and assets of the plan under 4975 C1A, right? They felt the fact that he signed the loan as a 401k trustee, and also he was a shareholder of this entity caused a conflict. Although the question is, is the entity disqualified because Rollins owned less than 50%? Because under 4975 E2, an entity only becomes disqualified when it's 50% or more owned by disqualified people, i.e. But we'll see in a second, there's one other provision in 4975 um, E when talking about disqualified people. That applies to 401ks and not IRAs, which ultimately uh, I think was the um, third strike for um, Mr. Rollins. So um, we'll get to there in one minute when we talk about the analysis. Um, Rollins, what did he claim? He said the, the interest rates were fair, they were above market and were paid back. The collateral was safe and secure, it was a good loan. And the plan assets were thereby diversified. So it was a good, it was a good deal for the 401k, okay? He also contended that he is a disqualified person, right? Clearly he's not gonna get around that, but none of the borrowers were disqualified, right? He said exactly what I would argue. The entities are owned less than 50% by disqualified people under 4975 E2, E, should be permitted to make the investment. Said so none of the loans were, were transactions between him and the plan, right? They were between the plan and the companies, the subsidiary companies that he invested in or the third-party companies. He didn't own more than 50% of, right? They're not disqualified. Why should these loans not be permitted? Unfortunately, the tax court agreed with the IRS and they basically used 4975 C1D to show that there was some self-dealing. Okay, how did the IRS analyze this? They said 4975 was enacted in 1974, imposes taxes on disqualified people who participate in a prohibited transaction between a plan and a disqualified person, right? So this case is a little different because it's actually between a plan and a company, which is technically not disqualified, right? He owned less than 50% of. So they go into a lot of details about ERISA and the legislative history about ERISA, okay? Um, the IRS does not contend any of the transaction fits under 4975 C1B. So they weren't going and arguing that there were any direct prohibited transactions. So let me explain what 4975 C is, okay? And I'll just kind of read through it real quick. C are the prohibited transactions. And it says, I'm reading 4975 C. For purposes of the section, the term prohibited transaction means any direct or indirect sale or exchange or leasing of any property between a plan and a DP. B, lending money or extension of credit between a plan and a DP. C, furnishing goods or services between a plan and a DP. And now D, the transfer to or use by or for the benefit of a disqualified person, Rollins, of the income or assets of the plan. So they are basically saying that, correct, the entity is not disqualified, but Rollins is benefiting as an indirect owner of that entity, which is a stretch, right? Because the entity is technically not disqualified. So let's talk about who's a disqualified person. For that, you need to look at 4975 E2. E is an Edward II. Okay. And it says a DP is a fiduciary, right? You, someone who provides services to the plan, an employer, any of whom employees are covered by the plan. So that trips up Rollins because the 401k was ad adopted you know, by his accounting firm, although it wasn't adopted by the underlying companies. Okay. And then someone who owns 50% or more uh, of a business, um, 
family member, lineal descendant. And then this is the, the one that they used, which I don't always agree with in a case, in this case specifically, an officer director or 10% or more shareholder or a highly competent employee of a person described in C, D, E, and G. C is an individual retirement annuity. Oh no, sorry. C is an employer, any of whose employees are covered by the plan. So they use that as something that pushed Rollins into the DP world, but we know Rollins is a disqualified person, right? He's the fiduciary of his 401k. He's disqualified, no doubt, okay? His plan is disqualified, we agree. The issue is, is the company's disqualified, okay? And in their analysis, they use the fact that he was a 10% or more shareholder of these companies to argue that the companies were disqualified. But if you look at E2, um, it's H. It says an officer, director, 10% or more shareholder, or highly compensated employee of a person described under C, an employer whose employees are covered by the plan, an employee org, members that are covered by the plan, or anyone who owns 50% or more. And it's a stretch to argue that those underlying companies should fall under C, D, and E because those underlying companies are not an employer whose employers are covered by the plan. That one's Rollins' plan, not the underlying companies. An employee organization, any of whose members are covered by the plan. That was Rollins' accounting firm, not the underlying companies. And he doesn't own 50% or more of the stock. So why should he be, why should those entities be deemed disqualified? So I say this is an important case because again, it shows where the IRS is going. Ultimately, they don't want you to personally benefit in any way from any IRA transaction. Okay. I think it was a stretch, their analysis. I think they wanted to get to the point to invalidate these transaction loans, but I think their rationale and their analysis was, um, you know, unclear and probably inexact. Um, I, I don't think they had the foundation to make that argument. And I'm surprised the tax court agreed with the IRS. Maybe in a vacuum, if you look at it, it was the right result based off the facts that, hey, the companies needed money. Rollins benefited indirectly by lending the 401k funds to these companies um, because without those funds, maybe his investments uh, go south, go south and, and he loses his money. Maybe if the facts were different, that there was seven, eight, or maybe just two banks that were lined up available to lend the money, maybe he can use those facts to show that, hey, this was a really good investment for my 401k. It didn't have, the companies did not have to use my 401k. It could have used a bank or some other party. Um, <coughs> those facts could have been very helpful, but it doesn't appear that those facts existed. And that's why the tax board ruled in favor of the IRS. Um, they didn't like that Rollins sat on both sides of the table. That's just the bottom line, right? He signed the loan doc and he had too much control in that company. Even if he had less than 50%, he still was, in some cases, the largest shareholder, which I think hurt him, right? If he was a 10 or 15% shareholder and there were other people managing those companies, I think he'd probably be okay. But the fact that he signed the loan on both sides, even if he owned less than 50% in to the loan instances, he was the largest shareholder, which I think, you know, hurt him. Okay. So, um, you know, that's kind of, there's a lot more um, small details that are irrelevant uh, really to the analysis, but the bottom line is that's where the um, tax court uh, looked at. So again, I think the analysis was kind of flawed. I think they got to where they wanted to go, 
but I don't think they had the legal foundation to argue <clears throat> disqualified person self-dealing under 4975C1D because the entity was not disqualified technically. Um, they tried to use the 10% or more, but he didn't own 10% or more of an entity owned more than 50%. So they try to argue that he owned 10% of his company or the plan, but it, the plan didn't have more than 50% of those companies. So I'm struggling to find out how they were able to travel the path and get to a prohibited transaction. But why I bring this up 18 years later is I use this case a lot. If you follow me online, social media, um, and kind of listen to my podcast, watch my videos, read my blogs, I mention the Rollin case a lot because even though it applies to 401k, it's one of the cases, and I like the analysis and the opinion. It's not a very long opinion. It's about 20 or so pages and maybe about 10 pages that are worth reading. But it really outlines the IRS's arguments well. And their arguments are this, in a nutshell. Hey, if you do an IRA or 401k investment, you, may, you have to have to 100% make sure that you're doing it to help your retirement account. You cannot have any indirect benefit, even if it's 1%. So you may be sitting there, sitting, listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube saying, well, Adam, what are you talking about? I own Tesla stock. When it goes up in my IRA, I benefit, right? My, I have more money in my retirement account. I win. True, but you're not personally benefiting, right? Because the money's in your IRA. So for you to personally benefit, you would have to take a taxable distribution from that IRA and put it in your pocket. So what this case is saying is, yes, your IRA can benefit, no problem. It can go from a dollar to a billion dollars. That's fine. But Adam Bergman can't be a dollar richer, right? So if, if someone, if I, IRA Financial goes to Adam and says, hey, Adam, I'll hire, we'll hire you for 100K a year, but you got to invest 200K in the business. I could say, okay, <laughs> it's a great opportunity. IRA Financial is a great company. I'm going to make money at some point. It's, it's going to be awesome. Sure, I'm also getting the job, but that's just a byproduct of my investment. It's still a really good investment. That's what Rollins tried to argue. He's like, yeah, it was a great loan, right? A diversification, great interest rate. It was a great loan. Yeah, I also kind of benefited indirectly. And the tax court saying that's not good. You can't have any personal benefit. And they tried to back in to their conclusion by, I think, stretching 4975C1D by stretching the definition of a disqualified person. On its face, I think they were incorrect. I don't think those loan entities were disqualified. I don't think they liked these loans because they didn't like Rollins on both sides of the table, signing the loan and as lender and borrower. <clears throat> but the fact is he owned less than 50%. And even though he was um, a 10% or more shareholder, he wasn't a 10% or more shareholder of a company that he owned 50% or more of. So they try to back in and say, yeah, he owned 10% or more of his accounting firm. Well, that's fine. We know the plan is disqualified. We know he's disqualified, but the companies he lent the money to technically are not. But I think that the facts, the fact that hurt, the two facts that hurt him the most is are one, or were, I should say, uh, one, the companies needed the money. And he couldn't show that there were other available sources of funding. And two, the fact that he was the largest shareholder in, in several of these loans. So he was basically signing on both sides. If, if a third party was the manager of those companies, I think he would have been in better shape. Uh, but anyways, 
the point is these cases are a great way to learn. This is a really good case to learn from, okay? Whether it's an IRA or 401k, um, I think we can learn a lot from their analysis and, and know that 4975, C1, A, B, and C are the direct, <coughs> right? You can't transfer money, you can't provide services. D, E, and F are the catch-alls. And they use D in this case to find a way to argue these transactions were prohibited because the IRS and, and seemingly the tax court did not like the self-dealing aspects of them. Uh, I do think the tax court erred. I don't think it was a proper decision, but again, I use this case as a learning um, exercise and a learning staple that I share um, you know, with my clients and, and all of you to basically help understand where the IRS is coming from. So if you are looking to do a transaction involving um, your IRA and you personally in any capacity. So if you're just buying a house, 100% your IRA or investing in Tesla or a business fund you have no personal involvement in, there's no risk, right? But anytime you have a little bit of personal ownership and it could be 30%, 10%, 5%, this is a really good case to kind of just think about and make sure you kind of check the boxes like, hey, no personal benefit. If the IRS knocked on my door today, I would be very confident arguing that I can say 100% that the transaction was done to exclusively benefit my retirement account and not to personally benefit me or another disqualified person. If you can say that and look the IRS agent in his or her eyes, then I think you can do the transaction. But again, good learning um, example and just wanted to share it. It's an older tax court case, but I haven't done a lot on it in the last couple of years. So just wanted to do a podcast on it <clears throat> and you know share it with you as a tool um, to better educate yourself in understanding the prohibited transaction rule. So thanks for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you as well. And uh, that's it. Have a great day. Remember, this is a weekly podcast that drops every Tuesday. So if you miss it, don't worry. You can pick it up anywhere you listen to your podcast or just check us out on YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to the IRA Financial channel and you'll get notified when new videos drop. And we generally do three to four videos a week. Try to do a YouTube live every Wednesday at noon Easter standard time. And we post these three podcasts, Adam Talks, AdBits and Ad Mail, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, giving you content. That's what I do. So take care. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me today and be well. Cheers. <laughs>